Welcome to the Fellowship College Podcast. It's cold outside. Well, as the seasons change and things get a little bit frosty in the mornings here in Northwest Arkansas, that also is a sign that this season is coming to a close. Oh, man. That was good. It's been a great semester. Mm -hmm. We've had a lot of fun. Mm. Before we... (laughs) (laughs) That's all all Eileen has to offer today is subtle mumbles and grunts. Mm. Mm. That's all. Uh, Every question mm. we've asked Eileen so Mm. far today has just Uh. been mumbles and grunts. Okay, I mean, I don't have a a response. That'd maybe be a great... Like band name or something. M- like. Mumble. Mumbles and grunts. It's like Mumford and Sons, but Mumble is like an offshoot of <laughs> Mumble and grunts. Oh man! Today you have we have a treat for you as well. Uh, since it is officially pumpkin spice latte season, we are bringing in a fresh review of a new coffee <laughs> shop in town called Seven Brew. It's not new. I had it for the first time today because I want a gift card. Tell us about it. Something you need to know about me uh, is that the second I get a gift card anywhere, I have to spend it almost immediately. Wow, okay. I'll look for any opportunities to spend a gift card. That's honestly probably better than the opposite, which I think is what most people do and forget that they have it yeah. and then it never gets spent. Mm-hmm. Which, so like, which is my, my wife, Lauren, she has this little like mini purse with, it's like this little thing that just holds gift cards. And there's some in there that- A wallet? Well, it's like, it's literally like the size of a no, gift no. card. <laughs> oh. It's just like, I mean, it literally, yeah. but it just has like cards in it. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. a card holder. Mm-hmm. I guess it's just a card holder, mm-hmm. but she uses it for gift cards. And I went through it the other day just to see what she hasn't spent. And there's some gift cards that have been in there from our Dallas days, which was Whoa. four years ago now. And so I'm not going to lie, Lauren, if you listen to this, I'm sorry. Uh, there was a Lululemon gift card in there that she's probably had for years. I took it out and I used it. Nice. <laughs> so someone's got to use it. Go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if you're a if you're a gift card spender like me and you just it burns a hole in your pocket, go and find yourself a significant other that hoards gift cards. So then you can spend their gift cards. It's mm-hmm. a it's a match made in heaven. Look mm-hmm. at that wisdom. That's what makes makes me and Lauren so compatible. <laughs> right. She saves. I spend. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. Um, and so as we're, as we're wrapping up this season, again, hopefully you've been following along with us. We've kind of been trying to build on certain themes. We started with uh, how, how, who Jesus is, talking about his divinity, his humanity, uh, talking about him as Lord and Savior. We then talked about what it looks like to be with him, to spend time with him, why that's even important, how to practically do that. And if you do that, how you'll start to become more like him, how the way that you view the world, we talked specifically about the way you view relationships, both friendships, romantic relationships, uh, how those start to slowly change, and then how you view possessions, material wealth, success, how that starts to change the more you spend time with Jesus. And these next, these last two weeks, this week and next week, we're going to close with what does it look like to start to do the things that Jesus did? As we become more like him, how do we actually tangibly represent him out in the world um, among people? And so this week, we're going to talk about 
how do we interact with other believers? And next week, we're going to talk about how we interact with with non-believers, what we call how we interact with the world. And so I think a valid question to start with is, why do we even have a distinction between the two? Shouldn't we treat everybody the same? Why would we treat believers and non-believers differently? This is such an important question. There's been so much hurt that has come from believers when they put this expectation on non-believers to behave in a way that a believer would act. So what I mean by that is, um, I, I mean, very tangibly, the Christian community has gone to people practicing a homosexual lifestyle and they've said, man, like you're such a sinner, like you're going to hell, like just dogging on that, that sin, that lifestyle. We see those signs, like the uh-huh. signs, imagine those. Yeah. And I'm sorry, if someone is not a Christian, why are you expecting them to live a life that reflects a Christian? That That's not what we should be doing. We should be sharing Jesus with them. That's what we should be doing. Um, and we see Jesus doing that as he's going out and ministering to people is if they don't know, if they don't know him, I mean, he is, he is sharing, I mean, we would call it the gospel now, um, but he's, he's preaching the kingdom to them. Like, he is, he is meeting them where they're at. Um, and then you see the way that he interacts with the Pharisees, um, these religious people who should know a lot of these answers. And he's like, hey, you are not, like you are being a hypocrite. You are are not following what, what you claim to be like preaching or you're, you have this misunderstanding of the law and all of these things. And so I think if we are to be, Jesus to the people surrounding us, if we are to reflect what Jesus was teaching and what he did, that means, okay, looking at our friends who don't know the Lord and meeting them where they're at and teach and, and preaching Jesus to them. And then looking at our friends who are believers and then holding them to that standard of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Yeah, that's really good. And Paul himself, obviously Jesus is a great example of walking that tension. Paul himself is another one where we get mm. a lot of clear examples how he does this well. If you, the book of Acts, uh, you know, it's written by Luke, who was actually a companion of Paul on at least one of his missionary journeys. And so we get a front row seat to how Paul talked with other people. Specifically in Acts, we see Paul reaching non-believers. We see him planting a lot of churches. We see him evangelizing to the Gentiles, to Kings. Even we see him like, uh, talking to a lot of different types of people and groups of people. And in, in the book of Acts, we see his sermons to non-believers and it's heavily, heavily focused on the gospel exposing maybe even some idols. But again, we'll talk about this a lot in detail next week, but so that's, he's not like, essentially shaming them for what we would call sin. He's not calling out these habits that they have. He's mainly pointing them to the resurrection of Jesus. But then we also get a front row seat to how he handles believers. Mm-hmm. We would call them the epistles or you know Paul's letters to certain churches. Is him addressing believers in these churches, whether that's Corinth or Ephesus or Philippi, Many of these, he knows the people well. Like he spent 
like in Ephesus, we're talking about like five plus years with, with this group of people. And what we see there is he's not afraid to call out very specific sin patterns that he sees in them, division that he has. And he's in certain chapters, he's pretty ruthless with them. And so, um, and again, that's just on the, on kind of like the calling out sin side, or we're about to talk about all the other sides as well, where it comes to the way he encourages and, and stuff like that. But this is all to say, Hey, there, there actually is importance and value to uh, handling the ways that you talk to believers and non-believers, and there should be some sort of distinction between the two. And so today, as we talk about, okay, we're following Jesus, we're becoming more like him. We want to start to act like he would act, do the things that he would do, and specifically as it relates to other Christians. Another question that I could could imagine coming, coming up pretty quickly is, someone that's new to following Jesus is like, well, how do I even, how do I even find other Christians? We talk with guys and girls who are maybe in fraternities or sororities where it's not as easy to find other Christians. We live in the Bible belt, so it's, it's easier than other places, but, but it sometimes it's not as easy as it sounds to find what I would call like the right community or healthy Christian community so before we even get to some of like the, uh, hey, what what should we do? Maybe maybe talk about how we even find the right community. What should we be looking for when it comes to finding other believers to be in community with? Yeah, the um, the kind of the premise for like why that is even necessary. Um, and so I've, I've heard some people argue that it's not necessary. I think it's a really bad argument, honestly. <laughs> um, but it's because we, as people, like initially, like from the very beginning, were created to in community with like each other, if it's in companionship or marriage with groups of people who are supposed to flourish and help like these communities grow and God leading those communities is like the original model. And so whenever we see Jesus come and fulfill all these things and now he's given us his spirit. So God dwells with us wherever we go. Um, Acts two is you, you get the first snapshot of what that looks like. Uh, and it is we're thinking about, okay, on a college campus, finding that community, one of the go-to places is just what are the local churches in your area? Um, churches, you know, in the first century looked a lot different, obviously, uh, than they, they do now, but the institution itself is the same and for the same purpose. It is supposed to be a community of people kind of with this family expression from all types of backgrounds and demographics, and that will look different depending on the city that you live in and uh, maybe the church tradition that you're a part of or something like that. But if I'm thinking, uh, like literally, for example, whenever I started following Jesus um, in college, going into my sophomore year, I was like, okay, I live in a fraternity house. I know two other guys who are following Jesus in the house, literally. Out of the 60 guys who lived in the house, let alone the almost 300 who are part of my fraternity, there was two that I know were for sure following Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so I just followed one of them <laughs> to some churches and was like, okay, I got to kind of, cause I grew up in church. So, but I was like, I got to kind of redefine what does it mean to be a part of the church yeah. here? Because now I'm actually following Jesus. 
and uh, you know, I landed at fellowship. Um, but through just kind of almost stumbling my way into, uh, being involved with a local church, I started connecting with these other, even just specifically guys in other fraternity houses that were also following Jesus. And so I was like, Oh my gosh, now I have this like community of guys who are very similar to me. Like they relate in these exact same ways, um, that are on campus. I'm starting to build relationships with them now. And it was just because I ended up meeting them through the fact that we, we all kind of from all over the city gathered on Sunday mornings at fellowship together to worship. I was like, Oh my gosh, look at all these other believers. Um, that is literally one of the functions of the church. Uh, if you're in the first century, somebody, you know, you hear about the, the gospel of this King named Jesus and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. I want to follow him. And they're like, great. Come meet at this house over here on this other side of the city, you know, whatever time that you'd meet and you show up and you're like, Oh my gosh, look, there's all these other believers here too. I didn't know these people existed. And all of a sudden it's your community. It's like a hub yeah. for others who are also trying to live with Jesus as the authority of their life. Yeah. That's, that's so good. And my, here's my little hot take on what it looks like, what you should be looking for in a church. I think you can, we can make a really long list and, and really short lists. Here's my short list and here's my critique of how it usually happens. Uh, one, I actually love the idea of, hey, where do your where do your friends go? The believers around you, the the ones that you're actually gonna live life with, where do they go? And I and I would say that should probably be the place you check out first to go to go where your your community already goes, the people that you're already doing life with. But let's just say you you move to a new city. Let's say for our college students, they graduate, they move to Dallas or to Nashville or, or to Denver. And they're like, okay, I need, I need a new church. Usually what happens is they're like, okay, where do I like the, the teaching and the worship the best? And that's usually like criteria number one. And then it's like, okay, hopefully, hopefully then they'll offer some community and then hopefully they can offer a place to serve. Like I'm a teacher. I think teaching is so important, but I actually don't, Think it, I think it should barely make the top three of reasons why you choose a church. I actually would almost flip that. And I'd say, hey, what if you started looking for a church that had opportunities for you to serve and, and get plugged into community? Like if you found that serving and community piece and then, you know, hopefully they um, go find a church that teaches the Bible, that, um, that loves Jesus, that um, but don't make that like, this is my, the only reason I'm going to church because what happens then is we make church this, oh, church is this place I go to on Sunday and it's like a concert and a performance. And then the rest of the week is is something different. Make the community and service piece the the primary piece. And and then hopefully they, they also teach the Bible well and praise Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I would say that the first one should be that they are teaching the Bible and that they have solid well, yeah, doctrine. I'm, but <laughs> and I'm, then, but what, then I'm, I would, what I'm pushing back on is not that I'm not saying, "Hey, go find a heretical church, like heretical <laughs> church that right, does right, community." Right. Well, I'm talking about okay. if we're talking about all the churches that have sound doctrine, which okay. there's a lot of. If we're talking about all the churches that have sound doctrine and teach the Bible, then what you should don't make it just because you like the way this teacher. Hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was trying to like. 
Right, right. Do but do judo. not be going to a church where, yeah, you can serve and there are a lot of opportunities, but they're teaching heresy. Do not do that. Go find a church that teaches solid Bible and then... Like when you cut them open, they bleed Bible. Who says that? Why do you always quote that? Is that Piper? It's not. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. It's, it's Tommy Nelson. Okay. <laughs> nice. Um, but no, I do think that is really important. You know, we are given spiritual giftings from the Lord and they are meant to build up the church to edify. And so um, what does it look like for you to identify those and then come to your church and say, hey, how can I use these in order to build up the body of Christ? Um, and as you're doing that, hopefully community will will start surrounding you and you can you know be serving with other people that are serving in similar ways or very different ways but you guys are so compatible and and so that's just yeah i mean your local church is so important to finding solid community yeah and so we're following jesus we we're we're in community we found this this local body of believers people that we're doing life with what should those relationships look like what what did Jesus have in mind when when he knew that a bunch of sinful people were going to get together that follow him and try and do life together and help one another out as they live out the Great Commission? There's uh, a list that gets referenced a lot talking about like community and us interacting with other believers in very ways. And it's the list of one another's throughout the New Testament. Um and there's like, there's 59 statements that literally use Ooh. the So word. we're going to go one by one. Yeah, so we're about to read them off. So buckle in. Um, but the list highlights, or the, the fact that there is this extensive list, it highlights this idea all throughout the New Testament that we are, it's just assumed that you are going to be in community, yeah. number one. So it's not, it's not just you out there rogue by yourself, um, whether by choice or by circumstance. Uh, it is with other people. and But that list is like, honestly, a really easy way to start. If you Google that, you can start just getting an idea of what some of these things um Give us like a are. couple a couple examples. Uh, okay, so in, uh, well, hang on. Let me, I actually pulled up the list right here. Okay, so you have Jesus, Jesus literally teaching throughout some of the gospels. He says, be at peace with one another. He says, love one another a ton, especially in John. John loves talking about love. John, jo John loves, loves love. love for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, he says, be devoted to one another, honor one another, um, stop passing judgment on one another, uh, which that's funny because in, in that context in Romans 14, uh, it's like, okay, this is very specific. It makes sense. But in uh, 1 Corinthians, yep. Paul actually says, hey, it is actually the job of the believers together to judge one another. It's not our job to judge someone who's not a believer. He says that literally verbatim. Rather, it is our job to judge one another, i.e. evaluate in relationship with somebody about how it is that they're living and if they are living incongruently with the gospel and the way of Jesus, then you you confront them about it and you call them to repentance and then you, know, you can get into all the other steps and things that happened if if they don't repent, but there's on one hand, Hey, there's an immature judgment about things that actually don't matter anymore because Jesus kind of like, fulfilled them. Like what you eat, what you drink. Yeah, exactly. Kind of yeah. So Romans 14 is talking about that. You could, one of the, like a layover for that. Now, a lot of times it gets brought up, especially in college is like, what if you're 21 and you drink alcohol and you know, like that type of thing. And so wrestling with those types of um, topics where maybe it's a little more gray. It's like, Hey, don't judge one another. But in First Corinthians, also Paul's addressing sexual morality that's yep. in the church, 
And he's like, why have y'all not done anything about this? You need to kick him out of the body of believers so and that he, maybe he'll learn and repent. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he's like, like, what the? And he's talking about, he's like, he says about sexual morality that the Christians are doing things that even the pagans yeah. don't even do. And talking about how there needs to be some sort of purity or we'd call it holiness, but that just means set apart. There needs to be some something that distinguishes the church from from the rest of the world. And so let's, I, I think it would be really valuable to spend our time talking about maybe two, two specific things as it comes to what we're supposed to do with, with other believers. If, if the role of the church, like other believers are in your life and yours in their life is to continue to point, point them to Jesus, help them to live out the great commission, to follow him better, to become more like him there's almost like a positive and a negative side to that. There's the, there's the encouraging and building it, building one another up. And then there's also the calling out sin and, uh, and helping them grow in their weakness side. So I think it'd be super valuable to talk about both sides to that coin as it relates to helping them look and act more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so let's, let's start with, with the negative side is kind of what we were just talking about what does it look like in a loving and healthy way to call out sin in another believer? Yeah. Um, I mean, it is the hard one, right? Yes. <laughs> um, but I'm immediately thinking, kind of going off of, yeah, what we were just talking about. Um, we as believers should know what it looks like to follow Jesus, what it looks like to lay down our lives and rid ourselves of sin and, and work towards, um, you know, yeah, just getting rid of the sin in our lives. Um, and we should know what the sin is and things like that. And so what's amazing about the body of Christ is you're, you should be surrounded by people who know those things as well and can call them out in you. And um, I think what's hard is, you know, I think of Matthew seven and that principle of judging others. And it's like, man, like, you know, I got my own stuff. Like I'm such a sinful person too. Like, who am I to, to call out the sin and my, my friend here, or like my brother or whatever, my sister. And, um, I think, yes, when we see sin in other people, first and foremost, we have to take a posture of humility and we have to remember that we are also wretched sinners, you know, like we also have our own crap and we are not better than anyone else. Um, and so just reminding ourselves of that and saying, Lord, help me, help me remember who I am and how good you are. Um, and help me to have a a right heart posture going into this. You know, if I see my, my brother or sister sinning. And so just remembering that first and foremost, being like, okay, like I'm not better than this person. I would want someone to call out sin in my life because I want to be drawn closer to the Lord. Like I want to um, better share Jesus with other people and better live this abundant life that Christ has promised us and just love the Lord. But sin takes us away from that. And so just remembering our why behind approaching someone, um, but also remembering like, you know, we are supposed to sharpen one another and and make each other um, look more like Christ, just like we're trying to make ourselves look more like Christ. And so having that posture of humility, remembering our why, and then approaching our, our brother and sister and saying, hey, like, 
you know, I have, I've noticed this and I care for you and I love you. And I'm not saying this out of a place of judgment, but man, like this is what I've seen. And I know this is not what's best for you. And like, like, can we talk about this? Yeah. You know, and Matthew seven and Luke six, the, the two mm-hmm. passages that talk about remove the plank from your mm-hmm. own eye before you move the speck from your, your brother or sister's eye. Both those passages are, are actually promoting helping your brother mm-hmm. or sister out mm-hmm. saying, Hey, there's, there's things that would actually benefit them. Like to have a speck in your eye is not a good thing. Yeah, Like it's actually loving to, to remove that. It's kind of just like you're saying, giving them wisdom on how to do that well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, like you're saying, comes down to humility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I think the biggest avenue for success in this is is having that community around you to where somebody like knows you really well. Uh, that doesn't mean that if if you know somebody, but maybe you're more of like an acquaintance with them or whatever, and you know that they're a believer, that if you see them in some obvious sin, that you don't say anything necessarily. However, whenever you have people who are, especially people that you and this is a challenge if you have not done this, you have intentionally brought them into your life and said. I'm going to let you in on everything in my life and I'm giving you permission to speak up whenever you see things that are off with the way that I'm living or doing things or interacting with others. Because whenever you do that, most of the time, the vast majority of the time, calling somebody out on some sinfulness that they're living in for the person that's getting called out is going to sting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even if you, you're acutely aware of the fact that you fall into the sin all the time and you could almost see it coming, that like they're going to call you out, it will sting to some degree. Yeah. Whenever you have that relationship there, it builds a type of security knowing that, hey, that they're not rejecting you for this. They're not looking at you um, lesser than because of that. Like you're not getting reprimanded or anything. They're loving you, lovingly calling you out of that. Uh, and in doing so, I think usually, I know I've experienced this for myself and I've watched people as they let, others into their lives to that degree, the type of growth that happens in their holiness, uh, a lot of times happens like quicker and is much fuller because there is that security there. Uh, and so I think that's just like a partially in a side of just generally the importance of that community for this specific situation. Yeah. Uh, and especially because I have, even this semester, I've talked with a lot of people who a struggle that they're currently having is they're they're really trying to follow Jesus seriously right now in their life. And maybe it's a little more new. And the majority of people that they're closest with are not following Jesus at all. And they feel that tension that obviously they're not on the same page. And for whatever reason, they haven't linked up really tightly with some type of community of believers yet. And so then they don't really have anybody speaking into their life to help correct them and, um, you get them back to following Jesus in whatever area because uh, they don't really get it. They're not, those people aren't going to be looking out for them. Uh, but then also if somebody does come in and say something about that in their life, they don't feel close with them. And so there's almost the sting is amplified a little bit more. It's kind of like, you don't even know me, dude. It's like, well, he might not, but like that's still part of it. So just jump into that community aspect. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And, and jump all the way back to week two when we're talking about who Jesus is. We talked about his role as Lord and savior. And the idea we we talked about this, uh, ad nauseum, almost like the idea of him as Lord. We, we don't like that idea as much, but it it is central to following him. Mm -hmm. When we say, Hey, 
I'm going to follow him. Whenever we baptize someone here at the college service, we say, hey, do you commit to, in front of all these people, you're in front of hundreds of witnesses, do you commit that you're going to follow Jesus for the rest of your life? And when you're saying yes to that, you're committing to, to a certain lifestyle. You're committing, hey, this is the standard that I'm, I'm like calling myself to. And I'm like Jacob is saying, I'm, one, I'm asking other people to hold me accountable in that. And so when we see brothers and sisters that have committed to that and then aren't following that, that lifestyle, it, it is our responsibility to, in humility, lovingly, Call, call those things out for, again, it's, it's for their own good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Paul in Galatians uh, says that if somebody is caught in sin, you who live by the spirit. So if you walk by the spirit, you're part of the family of Jesus should restore that person gently. So bring them back to correct them gently. Uh, and then he says, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So it's, again, going back to what you're talking about with the speck in your eye thing. And then he says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And so in the midst of this helping restore one of your brothers or sisters in Christ, we are. it's not just calling somebody out. It's actually coming alongside them in their life with whatever, yeah. whatever that is that they're off on. Mm-hmm. And like, say they're like, they're carrying this burden of sin that they're trying to shed and they're struggling and you're helping them recognize when they're living in it, you're supposed to come alongside them and place like half of that burden on yourself to act, to do things in their life that are going to be helpful to, to restoring them completely, not just in a moment of sin, but actually shedding that completely. That might be, you know, some type of accountability that might be just, even though you might call them out being there for the, maybe the real grief or sadness that they have about, you know, the sin um, whatever struggles that are happening there. It's, it's not just looking from the outside and being like, hey, you're doing that thing again. Stop. But it's coming with them. And that is, again, part of the, that's what's different. Or that's what is supposed to be different about the people of God, that we are just as much struggling with each other yeah. as somebody would by themselves. That's so good. The example I've actually seen that the clearest is uh, usually when it comes to any sort of like, pornography addiction is that, you know, guys, and I, and I actually encourage this all the time and women and women. Sorry, sorry, Thank sorry. You. I just, I'm in my own context. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, okay, That's okay, my, cool, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yes. Men <laughs> and women. But for me, like I, I meet with guys who are, are addicted to porn and I'm like, okay, like what, tell me when you're ready to take this seriously, like the, to fight against it. And the first step is almost always that we're going to put some sort of blocks on their devices, which again, I, I like almost always encourage this. And, but part of that is whoever their accountability partner is, has, has the code. Mm-hmm. And I've been that guy for a lot of people. And sometimes that bearing that burden means at a really inopportune time, having to like drive across the city or, or drive up to campus or, or go somewhere and put, put in the password so they can download an app so that they can like do one of their assignments or something like, like that. And although it, it can be like, stuff like that is kind of burdensome. Every time I leave being like, hey, you know what? It's totally worth it. If this is helping them to follow Jesus, and people have had to do that for me as well. And it's like, hey, you know what? If it's helping me follow Jesus or it's helping them follow Jesus a little bit better, if it's removing some of these stumbling blocks, 
it's worth the the 30 minutes, the hour that, that it takes to, to do that. Mm-hmm. And I know we're spending a lot of time on this one, but I do want to input another passage just because it's so good. Um, in first Corinthians 15, um, there's a section where Paul is writing and, and, in like the NIV Bible or whichever version I'm looking at right now. Um, the title is dealing with sin in the church. And Paul says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over, but if they will not listen, okay, take one or two more along. Um, and if they're still not listening, okay, go to the church and bring them before the church. And if they don't listen to the church, okay, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. And so, um, you're going to treat them as an unbeliever at that point. And so I think the main thing, and and I was just talking to a girl about this this week, it's so like applicable, (laughs) um, if someone, if you see someone sinning or if there's tension, even between you and roommates or things like that, go to them. Don't be gossiping about Mm -hmm. them, about it to Mm -hmm. other people. Don't sit them down and have this intervention with 20 other people and call them out on their crap. Or in your prayer circle, be like, I I want to pray for my friend who's really struggling with, Mm -hmm. don't do that. No, go and talk to them and have that conversation lovingly and humbly. And then if they're not listening, okay, bring someone else in, all right? Like if you and your roommate are struggling, go and talk to them. If they're not listening, bring in your third roommate and, and have them speak into it. If they're not listening, go talk to one of us, like talk to someone in your church, bring them in on it. And if they still aren't listening, that's when you say, okay, like if someone is is struggling with a pornography addiction and they're like, no, like I, I'm just not gonna deal with this, whatever, that means that they're not following the Lord. Like they are not following what Jesus is is telling us to do. And I'm not what I'm not saying is that if you are struggling with a sin that you're not following Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you are having this this mindset of oh whatever, it's not that big of a deal, that's what's not okay. We should be so serious about the sin in our lives that we should be fighting against it. And that's what worries me when people aren't worried about the sin in their lives. That's when I say, man, you know, we, we I've talked with you. We've, we, this group has talked with you. We've talked with you in front of the church. Um, it doesn't seem like you are being convicted by this very real sin in your life. And that's when I'm going to treat you as an unbeliever. And I'm going to teach Jesus to you. Like I want to preach the gospel to you over and over because that's what I do with someone who's not a believer. So I feel like this passage is just so important to, to just, I don't know, give us step-by-step guidelines even of, okay, what does it look like to care for a brother or sister who is in sin that I, I, I want to come alongside and bear the burden with? Yeah, that, that's really good. And before we move on to the other side of the coin, I think this is really important. I don't think we've said it yet, but to talk about how big or how small these circles are I think we can fall into two categories of like, hey, I, a lot of people are, are in this category of, I don't want anyone calling out anything in my life. Uh, but then we can also read some of these passages and think, oh, okay, if anybody calls themselves a Christian, I should just go around and all my, all my Enneagram eights in the world <laughs> are just like, oh, awesome. This just gives me permission just to go to anyone that calls himself a Christian and just like tell them, like all the things that they're doing wrong. Uh, I think we should probably follow some of Jesus's examples here in the way that he, he really had three that were like close. Again, it doesn't have to be exactly three, but he had a, he had a small group of friends that, that he really did life with. 
the 12 he he was really close with and so I, I really do think that you should you should have like a specific few whether that's three whether that's a I don't you know I'll let you use your own wisdom and discernment there but but have a specific few like Jacob said that you have specifically and I'm telling you go and do this if you haven't done this you specifically go and say hey listen I want to follow Jesus we both know there's plenty of areas in my life where my it does not align with Jesus I am giving you full permission and authority to in love call me out on those things and help me to grow in those areas like will you please call me out in those things and give a couple people the that authority in your life I think is just will help so much yeah and so the other side of the coin which we also don't really talk about that much in the churches what does it look like to encourage one another and to love one another and to build one another up so that we can follow Jesus better and live out the great commission I think w- one of the ways that we can do this to a really significant degree that sometimes it's easy to not really think that this is what we're doing when we do it, excuse me, is to do ministry together. Uh, Paul's analogy in first Corinthians where he talks about the, um, the body of believers, the church as like an actual body, like the analogy is a physical body and that God hasn't gifted people with certain things. And he's trying to do certain things like accomplishes parts of his plan through the various means that he's given individuals and we're all just as necessary as the next person. And whenever you are doing life with people, you know, you have some of your best friends, y'all are following Jesus a lot of the times you you might end up in the same um, like kind of demographic of people. So for example, like whenever I was in college, it's like I was in a Greek house. And so these guys in my fraternity, that was like immediate. And then there were guys who were like, were involved in the student organizations I was involved in and some other Greek houses. We all shared a lot of common things. It was super easy for us just by nature of we shared a lot of life together to, you know, whenever one guy's like, so he, he's sharing the gospel with this guy that he just met in his house and he wants to go grab lunch. Like he would invite me just to have some more relationship and to have some of these people around other believers, um, which we're going to get into maybe some like gospel sharing and things like that next week. Yeah. Um, but even thinking about now, post-grad, all my friends are in some type of professional career. A lot of the guys that I'm friends with who are in corporate settings right now, uh, they kind of band together and on like a semi-weekly basis, we'll you know get together with breakfast and talk through, man, what kind of ministry can we be doing, or what, what how's it going with certain things, and brainstorming you know best practices in the office space, and praying for one another and over those people that they're trying to build relationships with and love and serve well. And whenever you do that, you're doing life together. You are helping identify each other's gifts that God has given you and pointing those out. Like one of the most encouraging things that somebody can do for another person is to recognize something that God has obviously gifted them with Mm -hmm. and to tell them, man, God has really gifted you with this thing. You're really good at this. Lean into that, dude, like leverage that. Mm. And then to come together with those different types of giftings and share that for the sake of some type of like gospel advancement. That is like one of the most like encouraging life-giving just like fuel your flame type 
uh, activities to be doing that with somebody. That was very stumo of you to say. Thank you. <laughs> fuel in the flame. Fuel the Shout fuel, out. Fuel in the flame. <laughs> um, I, I love that. I was going to say the encouragement piece. I think in general, I've already sp- spoken some generalities today that might get me in trouble, but in general, I think women are way better at encouragement than guys, especially kind of in the society we live. It, it's kind of seen as almost weird to encourage another guy, like to go on, lo- alongside them and say, hey, listen, hey, I, I saw the way that you you approached that guy in, your, in, in house or, you know, at chapter or I saw the way that you that you saw the need there and that you you stepped into that and you loved him so well. Wow, like I'm really, I'm really proud of you. Like the power that's behind those type of things when you when you see someone do something and and you encourage them and say, hey, like I noticed that and I'm really encouraged by it and I'm really proud of you. Like keep keep doing it. Those words they have power to it and they and they, and they matter. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I think my favorite thing is when I'm talking to someone and they are talking highly of another person, you know, they'll be like, man, like, yeah, I was talking to to my mom and she was just really encouraging me in this. Or, you know, my big was just really encouraging me or she like, or my big does this so well. And I really admire that about her. And it's like, go tell them, like, you should, you should go and tell them that because me hearing that is encouraging. And, and, just being able to see what the Lord is doing through other people and just the light in those areas is just encouraging to hear. Go and tell that person and and say that they're doing a good job in that. Um, I just think that's one of the, the best ways that we can encourage people. Also thinking about the side of the coin that we started with, we, you know, we talked about calling out and bearing burdens and things like that. Encouragement is also plays like a huge role into those processes. Like knowing knowing somebody is struggling with some type of sin or he recognizes some pattern in his life. And whenever you see, cause you're doing life with them, him say no to this thing or to take a proactive step in living kind of like a more restorative lifestyle than this coping behavior or something. Mm-hmm. Like he, maybe he, he didn't sin in any capacity and not just encourage him like, hey, you know, your status before God doesn't change. That's encouragement. But whenever he proactively does something, being like, dude, that's what it's about. Like, yeah. yes, like good, good <laughs> great job choosing to do that instead of this other thing that I know it's really easy for you to do. So even dabbling back in there, that is also just as life-giving. Um, yeah. And it's, I mean, by nature, there's plenty of like, especially workplace psychologists who've done a ton of studies on the fact that we're way, we're way more quick to point out like things to improve on. So some criticism, critique stuff in general, um, but we're also way quicker to participate in that encouragement that's a, attached to a negative. So it's kind of like a, like a solve or a um, lightening the blow whenever something negative happens. And we're way less prominent or way less likely to give that proactive encouragement to you did something good, especially in light of something that you could have done bad um, or wrong. Yeah. And so like just emphasizing that and strengthening somebody in that way, I think is another like specific scenario where the idea of encouraging one another is huge. Yeah. I love that. Uh, earlier on in the season, we talked about spiritual disciplines and we talked a lot about, you know, reading the Bible, studying the Bible and, and even like the personal benefits of that, of knowing God's scripture, the more that we know God's stri- scripture, the more that we be- become like Jesus, the things that we set our mind on, we become like. Um, but the part about 
God's word that I don't think we talk about enough is how it's used to build up the body and encourage other people. Granted, we probably are like, yeah, pastors do that and teachers do that from stage. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like individually, like if you're reading through something, like even if it might seem cheesy to you, not being afraid, being okay with with texting someone and just saying something as simple as, hey, I was reading this passage today. Man, I really felt like the Lord taught me this. And I don't know, I don't know why, but I just, I'm going to text you this because it might not mean anything to you, but hey, I just want, want to encourage you with this and, and seeing God's word as, as a, as a lens to like equip and, and encourage as like second Timothy three kind of talks about uh, two of the, re- like two of the ways that God's word can be used. Um, I think we need to do a better job of that. Mm-hmm. Like using God's word to like encourage other people. Hey, I just want to remind you of this promise that God has, has given. And again, the only way we're going to be able to, to use that and know that is if we're actually spending time in the Bible and spending time in God's word. And, and the more that we do that, I think as you're in conversations, as you're meeting with like other Christians and hanging out and doing things like those things are going to just be more and more on your mind. They're going to share something hard that's going on. And like, you'll have opportunities to encourage them with, with God's word. And so I know that was, that flew by for us. Hopefully it flew by for you as well. If you walk away with anything uh, today, know that I would say one, find one person, think of one person in your life that you're walking alongside that you trust and ask them, give them permission. Hey, I want to follow Jesus better. I want to become more like him. I want to do the things to do. Would, would you help me by calling out the, the areas of my life that, that don't align with it? And then your second challenge for this week is to text or someone, or if you see them in person, to, to call out in a good way something that they've been doing well, something that gives glory to God, something that's been strengthening the church or the people around them and actually breathe life into them. And so those are your two goals for this week. Next week, we'll finish off this season talking about how we handle unbelievers, how we become like Jesus in those ways. And so until then, grace grace and peace. peace.